0: Christ has become the appeasement of our sins. He is the one that stands between the wrath of God and the law of God now. He has become our appeasement. Jesus has become our covering, our mercy. He stands between us and our holy God to this day. Jesus has nailed the requirement of the law to the cross. And the nail speaks of the finality of this thing.
1: You're looking to that need you to have inside You're on a big merry go round
0: and it's taking you for a ride You got to let go and let go
1: Welcome to the cleansing word we invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. in
0: Get rid of pain and get rid of All you got to do is let go and let go. We're looking at verses 11 through 15, Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made, without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way. He has nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, buried with him in baptism. And although uh, John and Jesus' baptism, when I'm speaking about uh, Jesus' baptism when he was the three years on this earth, when John came baptizing and saying to the people, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and the people were baptized in that water, it was called a baptism of repentance. It was a looking forward to The work that God wanted to do, a preparation for the people and their coming Messiah. And Jesus, when he came and he began to preach, he preached the very same message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And there was the baptism that he and his disciples did. It was at that time, the baptism of repentance, just like John's baptism. It was a baptism of preparation, preparing the people's heart for the coming Messiah. Today we have uh, two baptisms that identify us with Christ in the church, and is that what we know of as believer's baptism? It identifies us with the work of Jesus, and and there at the water, when we are dunked under the water, it symbolizes our burial, our death, the death of the flesh, and then when the preacher, if he brings us up, when he brings us up out of the water, um, it's signifying that resurrection back to New life that we would walk in newness of life in Him. It's the most common baptism that we witness today, but there's another baptism that we should all be witnesses of, and it is the baptism of Christ. Again, the question, in what ways are we complete in Him? First, through the circumcision made without hands. Second, that we have been buried and resurrected to walk in newness of life. Third, that we are alive and forgiven. Verse 13, For you being dead in your trespasses, in the circumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Before we accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, we were spiritually dead. At first, because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as one man Sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And so first and foremost, because of the fall, the sin of Adam and Eve, and we have that inherent sin nature, we have a spot, we might say. Remember the lambs, the animals that were brought for sacrifice, they were to be without spot or blemish. And the spot speaks about something that you're born with. And that's the inherent sin nature we're born with. It. The blemish speaks about can speak about a scar, something that's happened in our life that uh, scars us and, and causes a wound in an animal. Maybe it would not only cause scarring, but cause the wool to kind of grow back weird or to be bare there. But there's that identification of this blemish. Something's wrong. And I, I look at that as the blemish of of our personal sins, we personally sin. As Romans 3.23 reminds us all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. The word for trespass here in verse 13, it's a Greek word that can mean a, a side slip or a false step. There's another Greek word, hermetia, that speaks about sin itself. And so when we read sin, as we'll look at in a moment from Ephesians Two verse 1, where it says trespasses and sins, it's using two different Greek words to describe the two different things. The trespass, really, although it can connect to an unintentional sin, in reality, a trespass often speaks of a sin that we commit knowing that we're committing the sin. It's a trespass, and, and we're going to trespass. It's kind of like having those no trespassing signs. Hunting, when I was a teenager with my dad or some of his friends, and a lot of the farmers around here still post signs, no trespassing, no hunting. And I'd be out with some of these guys learning how to hunt, and they didn't care about the signs quite often. It must have been for someone else. No trespassing didn't mean anything to them. There was the awareness. And as a young child, you might say, but Dad says no trespassing. That's where the game is. We're going for it. But sin, hamartia, means missing a mark, but that could be intentional or unintentional. And sometimes we intentionally sin. Sometimes we have a trespass where we know what we're doing and we get into it. And other times we fall short We miss the mark, but we've been unaware of it. And once we're made aware of the sin, then we can come and make confessions to the Lord. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 that I referenced before, it says, And he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He's made us alive. We had once walked in the trespasses and sins. We as in verse 13, we were dead in our trespasses, the uncircumcision of our flesh, but he has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. I had prayed earlier about our past, present, and future deliverance, and that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that says, yes, we have the sentence of death in us that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, past, present, and future. You are complete in him. He has done the work completely, paid in full. Nothing more required. And thanks be to God that he has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us of all trespasses. Now, I want to ask you a question. What does the word all mean? Everything, right? All. Nothing more required. He's paid the price. And no longer do we have to attempt to merit the favor of God through the works of the flesh. Because apart from our works, Christ has made us alive together with him having forgiven all our trespasses. And fourth, we find that they've been nailed to the cross. Again, the question, how are we complete in him? Well, with the circumcision made without hands through the burial and the resurrection, the fact that we are alive and forgiven, and now a reminder that those sins have been nailed to the cross, having wiped out, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that Was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This week on the radio, um, I don't know if it was on the radio or not. I'm in the Bible all the time looking at devotional stuff, and I came across, whether on the radio or in my studies, I came across the story of. The Philistines, when they had captured the Ark of God, it's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 5-6. chapter 6, But in chapter 6, we have the returning of the Ark of God. It had been in the possession of the Philistines for right around seven months, and, and God ravished their land. They were in trouble. They moved it from town to town to town until the other towns, when they saw the Ark was coming, saying, hey, we don't want that death and destruction here. You got to do something else. And so they called their wisest men together and they said, what do we do with the ark? And they said, well, this is what you need to do. You need to build a new cart and you need to put the ark on the cart and you need to get two milk cows um, that have never been milked. They're in a sense, never been yoked is what it said. Never been put to a burden and to hook those cows up to the cart, and to put some gifts on there as well, uh, atonement gifts. And they made uh, golden rats and golden tumors because these were the things that had come upon their people that, it almost like the black plague, Uh, they were this rush of rodents and rats in their land, and death came upon their land as well. And then the wisest men of their day said, then let the cart go and see what the cows do. If they pull it toward the direction of Israel, you know that this plague has come upon us because of the wrath of God, because we have the ark and we've captured this. But if they just kind of roam around and go no place, then we know that this is just happenstance and it's just happening to us and God has nothing to do with it. Of course, we know that the two milk cows, they pulled that ark back to the children of Israel and it was the people of Beth. Shemesh who were out in the field uh, tending their fields when they saw the ark coming and as the ark came to them uh, they did some very good things they seemed to first approach the ark with great care it tells us that the Levites took the ark down from the cart and they placed it on a rock they placed the uh, five golden rats and the five golden tumors there as well they broke up the cart they cut up the cows they offer sacrifices to the Lord And then somebody thought, and maybe they were thinking, I wonder if the Ten Commandments is still in there. Did the Philistines open it and take out the stuff? But suddenly they lifted the mercy seat. They looked inside the ark and the Bible tells us that 50,070 of their men died with a great slaughter. Why? Because when they opened the mercy seat, they exposed themselves to the purity of God's covenant. The writing of requirements that was against us as referred to in verse 14. Jesus having wiped out the writing of requirements against us. When the men of Beth Shemesh opened up that lid of the Ark of the Covenant, they pulled what is called the lid itself. It's called the mercy seat. It's the mercy seat that keeps us from dying because of the commandments of God, even now it's God's mercy. And when they removed God's mercy, they were faced with the wrath of God. 50,070 of them died instantly. The Bible tells us that Christ himself has become the propitiation of our sins. That word for propitiation in the Greek is the same word that would be translated as mercy in the Old Testament. And it speaks about the appeasement. Christ has become the appeasement of our sins. He is the one that stands between the wrath of God and the law of God. Now, he has become our appeasement, as it tells us in 1 John 2.2. Jesus has become our covering, our mercy. He stands between us and our holy God to this day. Jesus has nailed the requirement of the law to the cross And the nail speaks of the finality of this thing. Back in their day and even not so long ago around here, even in the United States, go back a few hundred years, think about Martin Luther nailing his 99 points against the church door there in Jesus's day at this time when Paul was writing, if somebody had a debt and the debt was paid in full, they would write up a piece of paper that would say the debt paid in full, they would nail it to the post of that home that all people could see this debt's been paid no more is required now how would it be if the homeowner came out and took his uh hammer and pry bar and pried that notice off the house so i don't want no notice on my house and pull that thing off the notice told the people that the debt was paid in full and i think sometimes we attempt to go to the cross of jesus christ And we take our hammer and our pry bar and we want to pull those nails off. When it has been nailed to the cross, the work is done, it's complete, it's permanent. Nothing more required, nothing more needed. Hebrews 7.27 says, Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for his people's. For he did once for all when he offered himself. Jesus Christ, he did once for all when he offered himself. The debt has been paid in full. It's been nailed to the cross. Nothing more required. So again, how are we complete in him? Well, through the circumcision made without hands through the burial and resurrection, being made alive and forgiven by him, having our sins nailed to the cross, the debt been paid complete and full At the handwriting and requirements against us, referring to God's law, the nail speaking of the finality of the work of Christ there on the cross, that our debt has been paid in full and finally by the Lord disarming principalities and powers. Now, Paul is really just backing up an earlier statement that he made back in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, where he said, For by him all things were created in heaven, and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. These principalities and powers. Now, Paul picks up on that phrase again in verse 15, and he says he has disarmed principalities and powers. He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That the Lord has triumphed over all who would be against us. All who opposed the work of God in our life. Christ has paid it all. He's done it all. So He's supreme both over the physical and the spiritual realm. Not just some of it, but all of it. It's complete. In the Gospel of Mark, and this I know I read on the radio this week, but it reminded me of this. We were looking at this devotional On the radio this week and in Mark chapter 5 we have the story of Jesus going into the area of the Gadarenes where there was the man there that lived in caves and in tombs and he knows from the story we read in Mark 5 that he had what is called a legion of demons the demons themselves when Jesus said what is your name they said we are we are called legion because we are many now legion according to Rome. And the Roman legions of that day, it could consist of some five to six thousand men. Now, I don't know how many demons this guy was possessed with. We do know that there were two thousand pigs involved in this story when Jesus cast out these demons and allowed them to go into uh, the pigs. They ran down that steep place on the Sea of Galilee and they drowned there in the water. What? reminded me of this connected this to the message today is it's saying having disarmed principalities and powers we come to mark chapter 5 this is the third time that we've had demon possessed individuals come before Jesus and and fall on their knees and say that he was the messiah the son of god they were declaring the majesty of Jesus Christ and i think that this is what is being referred to here in Colossians 2 15 we know ultimately it was through his work on the cross but even prior to that there was the recognition of that Jesus Christ was the son of God and they had to bow a knee and some may say that perhaps this man had a momentary thought of clarity as he ran to Jesus and worshiped him as Mark 5 6 tells us when he saw Jesus from afar he ran and worshiped him but I believe that it was the demons that were within him who were constrained by the authority of Jesus, the Son of the God Most High, which caused that man to fall on his knees and to cry out and to worship him. Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. And with these demons, it was a public spectacle. He said, go ahead, go for the pigs who ran down the cliff and went in and drowned in the sea. Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 speaks a little bit more about this work that Jesus did through the cross, where it says, when he ascended on high, he led the captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And then Paul writes, now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who has descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And during those three days and three nights in the grave, when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, into Sheol or into Haiti, we might say, the abode of the dead, while Jesus was there, he did at least three things. One, he was disarming principalities and powers, and we could connect that to Colossians 2.15. Number two, the word tells us that he preached the gospel in 1 Peter 4.6, for this reason the gospel was preached also to those who were dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God in the spirit. And number three, he proclaimed liberty to the captives. He opened the prison for those who were bound there. Isaiah 61.1 says, And the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel are good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to open the prisons of those who are bound. The very same words Jesus spoke in the synagogue of Nazareth when he began his ministry. You can find those words in Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. And this unbelieving world will one day discover that Jesus will also make them a spectacle As they stand before the great white throne judgment of God, it's amazing to me that even the believers believe and tremble. And yet, while most of mankind believe somehow, they're going to escape the judgment of God. We have been reminded today with that question, how are we complete in him? Well, we have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. We have been buried and resurrected to walk in newness of life, alive and forgiven For our sins have been nailed to the cross where Jesus Christ has made and disarmed all principalities, all powers. They've been disarmed at the cross. And that means spiritually, of course, the realm of Satan and his demons, of course, but also any power that might come before Christ to this day. Any work that you might think that you could do, Christ has disarmed them all. And we give praise to him this day. And Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this. Look at Colossians 2, verses 11 through 15 today. And we thank you, Lord, that we are complete in you. And in every way, Lord, we are complete in you. Nothing more required. But only if we have received the gift of your salvation through faith in your name. Lord, if we have confessed our sins, openly and publicly and declared that we are sinners in need of a savior. It's the only way that we can receive this gift and know that we are complete in you and have that position of our sanctification. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that have, they have never received you as their savior, they would like to do that today, to know that they are complete in you today. Lord, that during this last song of worship, they would come to the altar, Lord, here, and that they would ask you into their heart. We ask and pray this day, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit.